You are listening to the Issues on Appeal podcast, focusing on timely and timeless issues of appellate practice and professionalism. Here is your host, Dwayne Diker. Thanks for joining me for episode 49, Cleaned Up. This show is again sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More about CSBA later in the show. As an appellate lawyer, appellate geek, and former law review editor, I'm interested in legal citation form and the blue book. Chances are you are too. Proper citation form is an important part of our written advocacy. We need our citations to be clear and accurate and in conformance with accepted standards. It adds credibility to our writing. What happens if the standard forms are not ideal? What if complications of the rules detract from the readability? Can we change them if the change reaches a level of general acceptance? And should we as practitioners take on that challenge? Attorney Jack Metzler has done exactly that. He has personally fought for a change in accepted citation practice. And maybe he's won? My discussion with Attorney Jack Metzler is next. So Jack, welcome to the Issues on Appeal podcast. Thanks for agreeing to appear on the show. Thanks for having me. So Jack, you're a lawyer with the Federal Trade Commission in Washington, D.C., right? That is correct. Although this is probably a good time to mention that I am not appearing here on behalf of my employer and the opinions I will express are my own. No, I totally get that, right? That's uh, your employment is for background purposes only. (laughs) Exactly. Because you are also known for some of your uh, extracurricular work, I guess, if you will, like uh, publishing under the Twitter handle uh, SCOTUS Places, which I think you've been doing, I saw, since 2013. Does that sound right? That sounds about right, yes. And I noticed that uh, when I look recently, you have about 16,000 followers, which is pretty impressive for, for an, you know, an appellate lawyer. <laughs> is, is that any of that uh, related to the, some of the most recent stuff that has uh, gotten popular, or have you always been uh, real high in your Twitter followers? Well, I mean, I don't know if that's, if that's uh, particularly high, but, um, uh, but the answer to your question is yes. The, I think I was at about something like 14,000 before the uh, cleaned up citation last month. And, uh, and to as much my shock, well, probably only my shock because nobody else knows about it, but I got like 2000 followers in, in, uh, in about a week, um, which is probably the biggest single jump I've ever had. It's, you know, since 2013 or whatever, it's sort of grown steadily, but, um, uh, but yeah, that was a big jump. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's pretty exciting. And obviously that's what we're here to, to talk about the, the cleaned up. So you, you came up with a concept for a citation convention, I guess we'd call it for altered quotes and, and particularly for nested quotations and legal briefs and court opinions that I think you first introduced to the world in a tweet, right? In, in 2017. That is absolutely correct. So I don't know. I, I think I thought it was just me. Um, I have noticed this problem for a long time. You have a great quote that you'd like to use, and the uh, the words are great, but it turns out that the course that you want to quote was quoting somebody else, and maybe they were quoting somebody else, and 
then there was a, a bracket added or an ellipsis or, or something like that. And it's just not very uncommon at all to wind up spending a few minutes figuring out just how to use, you know, a sentence that you would like out of an opinion. Um, and, uh, and actually, this is, here's an exclusive for you. I think all along I have been telling people on Twitter that it was some Gorsuch opinion when he was being uh, considered for the Supreme Court that inspired this. And, and I truly thought that was true. Um, but I just realized uh, in the last couple weeks, I found the, uh, the opinion that actually inspired it. And what it was is the district court's opinion in uh, Trump versus Hawaii, which came out that, that very day. I guess I was reading that. Um, and having read that was what inspired me. I, I could just tell that the, the writer was facing that same problem. And, uh, and I said, isn't there a way to just get rid of all this? Wow. So that, that, that's what I tweeted. You know, how about we just go with cleaned up? Wow. And was that literally the same day, you think, that you read the opinion that, that you had that, uh, that tweet? Yeah, so the tweet was at about like 50, uh, 11.59 p.m. And, uh, and the, uh, the day of that opinion was, um, what, it was that day. So it was like a Tuesday or something. It was Tuesday at midnight. And so it kind of blew up, right? A lot of, there was a lot of support, a lot of interest in this as a, as a concept. Yeah. So I have, you know, a lot of ideas and I put them out there on Twitter and some people think that some of them are good and others not, but there was a pretty <laughs> strong reaction. I mean, that, that kind of shocked me. A lot of people were like, yes, I endorse this. We should be able to fix this. And uh, the discussion continued for a little while. And I thought, well, maybe people will actually do it. And so I sort of wrote it up a little bit more formally, just a, a couple pages um, as what I thought the suggestion would be, um, and put that up on SSRN. And uh, um, and then I had to sort of, you know, try and convince people to actually use it. Yeah, so then I saw you prepared a, a pretty scholarly article, I would say, on this issue that was published in the Journal of Appellate Practice and Process, the time frames here seem pretty short. What didn't that come out in early 2017? So actually, um, so I wrote the initial thing, which I said was just a couple of pages on, um, just within, you know, a day or two. Right. And, um, and then eventually I thought, well, maybe I could get someone to publish it. Um, and so I made it a little bit more formal and that's when I got the agreement from the, uh, journal of appellate practice and process. Um, it didn't actually wind up appearing in print until 2018, but because of the, I guess, just the way that their publication schedule goes, that was the 2017 issue. So mm -hmm. uh, the article was out there and written and citable and with a forthcoming, you know, site for a long time before the actual um, issue came out. Gotcha. Oh, okay. And how you're bringing back flashbacks to law review days and busted schedules and, and being way behind. And so that makes total sense now that, now that I think about it. Uh, and I'm going to link to your, to the article in the show notes, because I think, you know, obviously that's the best explanation of, of what you're proposing. And, and some of this stuff is a lot easier to see. You have some great examples in there of, you know, how, how bad things can look and how they look, uh, cleaned up, but but congrats on that. I mean, for that was a very very nicely written, very nicely researched uh, 
article for something that is, um, you know, a little bit out of the, a lot of, a little bit out of the norm for a scholarly article, but I, I thought that was very, uh, very nicely done. Well, thank you very much. Although, uh, just as a hint to your readers, if they do wind up reading it, it's a little out of date because it talks about the number of times that cleaned up had been used in judicial opinions as of somewhere in late 2017 or early 2018. That number is way bigger now. Uh, and the other thing I would say is um, it is kind of scholarly. So the, the short version is it's not nearly as complicated as you that, that you need to read the entire article. The basic idea is pretty simple. You want to keep the words that the court that you're quoting uh, said. And what you're allowed to get rid of is internal citation, uh, internal citations, quotation marks, ellipses, and brackets. Because the, uh, the concept is when a court says, you know, we hold X, Y, and Z, um, what they're saying is just that, we hold X, Y, and Z. It, it's not we hold bracket X, close bracket, comma, ellipsis, etc. No one would say that. They know that what the court is holding is the words that it uses. So you can take out all the stuff that's not the words that it used and then just say cleaned up at the end to show that you've done that. And the court can always go back and look to see what it is that you have removed. Uh, but you've told them that you've removed the unimportant stuff and you're promising them that nothing you removed was important. So there's a certain element of trust, of course, but anytime you're using brackets, uh, or ellipsis to indicate that you're changing the quoted material, there's always an element of trust, right? I mean, the, if the the court, presumably a court uh, will go back or staff attorneys will go back and check uh, quotations to the extent they're important, we'll go back and check they're accurate and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, like you said, that's you're making a representation that you're not making a change, but you're always making that representation. So I don't see any change there. The real change here is in readability, right? That's the focus. Uh, exactly correct. I like uh, one, one thing. I think I, I did say in the article is, you know, the blue book doesn't tell you how to use ellipsis. It tells you that you need an ellipsis if you take words out, um, but it doesn't say you're not allowed to take out the word not and turn a quotation into the exact opposite of what it is. You just have to know that and use your professional responsibility to be honest with the, with the court and, uh, and your duty of candor to the court. So cleaned up is really no different. You're telling the court that, um, you know, you're assuring the court that what you are quoting here is, is actually what the court that you're quoting is stating. And, and, I guess I should say, saying all of this from a practitioner's view, judges who use cleaned up, I think, are even even more above, above reproach, but uh, obviously they're not going to change quotations from earlier cases to make them mean things that they don't. And, uh, and that's how I take it that they are using cleaned up. Today's show is sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida or any other state or federal court, contact CSBA. They can be reached at 877-810-5525, and their contact information is always in the show notes. I'm thrilled to have a great company like CSBA as a longtime sponsor of the podcast. CSBA is a national agency that sits with court bonds all over the United States, but has extensive experience in Florida. I suggest you take a moment visit their website, courtsurety.com, 
It's full of valuable resources, including a state-by-state guide to appeal bond requirements and a comprehensive FAQ on collateral, underwriting, and the application process. The next time a client needs a supersedious bond, please give Court Surety Bond Agency a call. These folks are experts in this area. They'll guide you and your client through the process, giving you one less thing to worry about. I'm curious, in the article, you discussed the fact that early on you had some other alternative terms that you might use parenthetically uh, to discuss, to um, describe what you're doing other than cleaned up. And in the article, you sort of conclude that there's too much momentum now <laughs> with cleaned up. But I'm just curious, uh, if you if you were doing it over again, do you, do you still have any second thoughts about that? Would you have used just cleaned or something else? Or do you, do you still like the, the implication of cleaned up? One of the objections, one of the most common objections you hear from people is it sounds a little too colloquial. It's not quite stuffy enough sounding. Right. Uh, and, <laughs> We're uh, all so fond of in legal writing. <laughs> right. And they, they don't like the up in cleaned up, I think, kind of for that reason. People always try and suggest something different, and there's always something a little bit off. And I'm not saying that cleaned up is perfect, but um, like people will say, like tidied or <laughs> cleansed, or they often want to make it one word. But I, I haven't been able to come up with anything that is, you know, definitely better that doesn't introduce its own problems. There's there's one judge who said, well, um, I like this concept. But um, I'm going to go with pergandum, which is a Latin word that basically means cleaned. And that definitely sounds stuffier. But I think it really is not quite as good because if you don't speak Latin, you're going to have to go look it up. And so then you have no idea what it means rather than, you know, at least cleaned up tells you what it, um, in some sense, what it means. And the trend is definitely illegal writing away from uh, obscure Latin. So, but yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. There's always going to be some difference of opinion as to what, what the term could be. But it, I think the point is well made that at this point, cleaned up has a lot of momentum and a lot of traction. And, and that's sort of where we are. But let, let's talk about that traction. I, just to go back just a little bit. Um, I think it was it was a federal uh, appellate decision in the Fifth Circuit in 2017. Is that the first time you saw uh, your convention appear in a in a published opinion? Well, that was the first federal appellate decision. There were a number that came before that, and uh, the first one I think was from the Eastern District of Kentucky, and it was a senior district court judge. And his, the first two were, there was also a, a magistrate judge who was using it out there. Um, and then a number of state courts, uh, Justice Willett on the Texas, uh, Supreme Court of Texas, who's now on the Fifth Circuit, used it. And so did uh, Judge Dillard on the uh, Court of Appeals of Georgia. Both of them are, you know, big names on Twitter. Justice Willett, much less so since he uh, joined the Fifth Circuit. Um, but... There were, there were a bunch of ones, but the, the Fifth Circuit starting to use it was, was definitely a turning point. And in those instances, I did not go back and look at the, some of the early opinions. Did you get any explicit credit in those, or, or was the credit uh, implicit only? No, it was, it was explicit in, uh, in a good number of them. There's um, a, a couple hundred, actually, at this point, citations to the article, um, which I think is a good thing, actually, because it, it is new. 
And so I think it's helpful for judges to explain what they're doing. Right now, this isn't in the blue book, um, but there are lots of judicial decisions that will explain to you what cleaned up means. Um, you know, the point of readability is not just for lawyers, but also for the public and ultimately the people who need to understand opinions of the clients, um, the people whose cases are really being affected in court. And I think this helps them and those, um, even if they don't really care about citations, they probably don't, but there's a way for them to find out what, what's happening when they, when they see that parenthetical. Now, another banner moment uh, for you, I imagine, was when the concept was endorsed by Brian Garner. And uh, Brian Garner is, I think, probably the most famous. I think he describes himself as a legal lexicographer. Uh, he's the editor of the uh, Black's Law Dictionary for, for quite some time. And he uh, tweeted a, an endorsement of this concept. That, that must have been pretty exciting for you, I would think. Yes, that was pretty exciting. And it came on the heels of the uh, Judge Reedley opinion from the Fifth Circuit. I think that Garner, if I'm remembering collect- correctly, I think he clerked for Judge Reedley. So I, I think he was influenced by the judge being willing to do it. Or maybe maybe he uh, suggested it to the judge. I, I don't know. But in any case, um, you know, lexicographer is a good word. I think I usually say legal writing guru. Um, but, <laughs> He's that too. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> He's definitely that. <laughs> Well, and of course, the the reason that we're we're here, uh, the reason this has been the subject of so much talk uh, just recently, uh, and in on appellate Twitter and uh, amongst appellate geeks uh, generally, is that Justice Clarence Thomas used cleaned up in an opinion that he authored on February twenty fifth in Brownback versus King. He added the words "cleaned up" uh, in a parenthesis after uh, a sentence quoting from an earlier decision. That he did. That was a, a big day. Honestly, I didn't think it was ever going to happen. But um, I, I can't imagine how thrilling that would be. Let, let me ask you, how did you actually find out? Someone emailed me about it. I was doing a moot court um, for uh, one of my colleagues was getting ready to do an argument. And I just got an email, my personal email from uh, someone who had reviewed the article while it was in pre-publication, actually. And he said, hey, look at this. <laughs> That's just got to be a, a great vindication of what what you've been trying to do to see it that way. And I know that you uh, you tweeted about it, and, and that tweet got a whole lot of engagement. So it's uh, it's one of those things that's just building on itself. But uh, what, a, what a great uh, experience. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty exciting. You know, looking back, I think, well, you know, it really is a little thing. It's just a citation change. But the, the reason, the inspiration behind it was we waste time doing this and it makes it harder to read when we have to deal with um, brackets and internal quotation marks and, and so forth. So, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm saving people a minute or two at a time, but uh, doing that a lot of times. Uh, and so, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm happy about that, and you know, like you say, it's it's an interesting and exciting sort of ride along the way. Yeah, a, a minute or two at a time at you know four or five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars an hour. It all adds up, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Unfortunately, the clients aren't you know. Uh, sending me any dividends, but no, that's right. No percentages. <laughs> well, you know, Justice Thomas opinion certainly feels like time to take a victory lap uh, for you, but 
do you consider this to be a solved problem? I mean, what are you interested in still seeing this get into the blue book? I assume have, has there been any discussion about that? So the, the blue book came out with a new edition, I think earlier this year, or maybe, maybe late last year. And they had solicited comments online. Uh, and of course I went on and suggested, well, what about cleaned up? And, um, I encourage people to do that too, but they sort of didn't do it. Um, so I'm not sure what will happen uh, the next time there is a, a new edition. They don't. They come out kind of often, but not all that often. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I guess we'll see. Although the one thing I would say is, when I was looking at the blue book rules, it's sort of shocking that things that people regularly do, um, at least in practice and in court opinions, don't appear in the blue book. So, you know, when people, if one of the objections is, well, this isn't in the blue book, um, then one of my uh, answers is, well, have you ever seen um, brackets omitted or internal quotation marks omitted? Because those aren't allowed by the blue book either. Um, Mm -hmm. Shockingly, you're supposed to leave all of the nested quotation marks. If it's, you know, quoting X, quoting Y, quoting Z, uh, you don't have to include all the citations, but you're supposed to leave in multiple levels of, of uh, nested quotation marks, which is a mess and really doesn't add any information for the reader. Um, so I'm not holding my breath. Um, I would like to see, you know, another four justices use it so I can you know, have the full majority, right. um, even though it was in a unanimous opinion. But, you know, we'll see if that happens. Yeah, no that that would be uh, that would be great. Yeah, I mean the blue book. There's a lot of interesting history and and politics and all that behind those changes. And you know one of the one of the principles of blue book citation is supposed to be that you omit extraneous information that's not necessary. You know to identify the source to the reader and that sort of thing. So you would think that. Um, it would be something that is at least consistent with their philosophy. And I hope that, I guess, as this grows more and more groundswell of support, then, you know, maybe it will be something that they will deal with at, at some future point. Um, in the article, um, you discuss and even suggest uh, some language for an explanatory footnote. And I realize the article is, you know, 2018 now. I'm curious, what do you think that's still necessary? Do you think we're still at the point where if we're going to use a cleaned up convention that we need to explain it? At this point, at least in the federal courts, it's been used in all of the courts of appeals, uh, including the Supreme Court, like two thirds of the federal district courts. And the ones that haven't used it are, are a lot of the smaller districts, which is one or two judges um, uh-huh. and uh, about a dozen states and state highest courts and intermediate appellate courts. So I think there's a lot of places where it shouldn't be new, and so probably doesn't need an explanation. Um, I think that you know it still would be helpful to use that, um, like a footnote or something, for places that maybe haven't seen it, particularly smaller jurisdictions um, that uh, where you haven't seen any opinions in the state. Yeah, you know, but on the other hand, from very early on, a lot of people just never used it, um, and. Um, I, I think it would be um, shocking if a court were to decide or get mad at an attorney for, for using this parenthetical at this point without including a footnote, because I know there are a lot of times that word counts are an issue. Um, so I would say, you know, if you're feeling nervous, sure, I wouldn't, I don't use a footnote and I, I wouldn't 
recommend that people have to use it. I think that's right. And especially, I mean, I guess we all know the courts that we practice in and, and can make that judgment call if, if necessary. But certainly now being uh, cited in U.S. Supreme Court, um, it's hard to it's hard to say it's not mainstream at this point. I think that's right. And and the point you bring about bring up about people you knowing the course that they um, that they practice in, I think is exactly correct. Um New York courts, for example, are very particular about their citation style, and there are several practitioners up there, I think, who have paved the way for, for clean, cleaned up in the New York state courts. And California also has some very odd citation practices, and I take it that your listeners... Now, I don't, I don't know if that's true about Florida. I think it has been used in the Florida courts, so as far as I know, there hasn't been a Florida Supreme Court opinion, but uh, it is being used there and in the 11th circuit and in the district courts in Florida. I tend to think um, in Florida, and of course we're, we're talking mostly to Florida practitioners. I tend to think that it's, it's reached a level of acceptance that an explanation probably isn't necessary, but you know, we all have our own styles as to just how tightly we want to, uh, you know, wrap things up like that. So either way, but uh, I think the, the explanation can get shorter and shorter because uh, it's, it's, it's in so many more places. Yes. And, and of course, one thing about cleaned up is that it is completely voluntary. It is a thing you um, can do, but you don't have to do it. And if it makes people uncomfortable, they certainly can use whatever the, the regular tools are. Well, Jack, I, I'm thrilled that we could discuss this on the podcast. I feel like this is just the, just the sort of thing that, uh, you know, appellate geeks are interested in and talk about. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad I could have you on the show. Uh, I think this whole thing has been very cool uh, for you. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous uh, of the of the dent that you have made in the legal universe. Uh, you know, granted, like like you were saying, it's it's not a huge dent, but you know what? It's a big universe. So make a small dent in a big universe. It feels pretty good. Well, thanks very much, and thanks for having me. This is fun. Uh, I should say, you know, I um, when I got to law school, I practiced in Virginia and uh, the District of Columbia, um, both of which have the contributory negligence rule, which I thought in law school is bad. And I thought, you know, my legacy is I'm going to get rid of those things in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia, all of which have that rule. Um, well, I didn't do that, but I did this. So, you know, it's some consolation. It's the next thing. <laughs> Thanks, Jack, for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Thanks to Jack Metzler for appearing on the podcast. And special thanks to Thomasina Moore for her idea to cover this story. I came into this story, again, as a former law review editor, wanting to think that this was just wrong. You can't just change the blue book. But after doing my research and talking to Jack at some length, I think maybe you can. The blue book is not entirely comprehensive. There are judgment calls that have to be made and gaps that have to be filled. The fact that judges and justices all over the country have accepted and adopted the cleaned-up citation convention in itself shows that the blue book may not be the final word after all. If it's good enough for the courts, that's all that matters. It will be interesting to see if the blue book editors come around in the next edition. Remember, podcasts are never legal advice, and nothing that I say or my guests say should be interpreted as legal advice for any particular situation. 
But if you're a lawyer who needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. My contact information is always in the show notes. And please consider using our sponsor, Court Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. Their contact information is also in the show notes. Please take a moment, add it to your contacts so that you're ready when your client needs a supersedious bond. The next show will be out in two weeks. I hope that you will continue to download and listen. Thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal. So, Jack, I see um, it was about five years ago, I think, that you made available for sale to the general public uh, something that is uh, the U.S. Supreme Court's internal style guide. And it's a guide that I guess had previously not really been easily accessible to people outside of the court. And uh, I was just wondering if you could talk about, you know, sort of how that happened and and whether that's uh, still available. So... My foray into the style guide business started with the Solicitor General style guide, um, which I had seen discussed online and, uh, and people had talked about it when you talk to appellate practitioners, especially in the Supreme Court, and you ask them, why do they do this or that thing? It's often because, well, the Solicitor General does it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so, like, just for take one example is in Supreme Court briefs, a lot of times you will see that the V in a case name is not italicized. Um, not just from the Supreme Court itself, but from practitioners. And the practitioners will say, well, that's the way the Solicitor General does it. And a lot of them who are big players in Supreme Court have been in the Solicitor General's office, and so they're sort of carrying over the style. Um, well, at some point, someone had asked the Solicitor General for their style guide using FOIA. And um, and I got a hold of that, and I'm like, I have been looking for this for so long. Uh, and it so <laughs> happened that Amazon has this service where you can basically just publish a book. And so, um, you know, I'm interested in formatting and stuff. So I, I sort of formatted, uh, cleaned it up, if you will, and, uh, and published that. Um, and then soon after the... Um, the then current reporter, actually not the then current, a former uh, reporter of decisions for the Supreme Court had um, had passed away. And in his obituary, it said he was one of the ones who had spent a lot of time developing the Supreme Court style guide. And I thought, oh, well, there's a Supreme Court. Who even knew there was such a thing? Right. Um, I just sort of put it in the back of my mind. Um, and then at some point, I went to the court's library um, for another reason, actually, but it occurred to me, well, what about that Supreme Court style guide? Because I had looked, there's a way that you can look and see what they have in their catalog um, online. Um, and uh, I had, using it, something called WorldCat. If you're just looking for any legal book, it'll tell you what libraries have it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, that'd be interesting. It had like a version that was listed like from the 70s or 60s or something. I'm like, well, that, that would be something interesting. Um and so when I went to the the reference, there was like a binder, and it was like the current version of the style guide. Hmm. And I'm like, well, this is – and I started flipping through. It's pretty fascinating, uh, at least fascinating, you know, take a, take that with a grain of salt. That's right. fascinating <laughs> for people like me. That's right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I copied 
part of it just to take home and read later. And, um, uh, and then when I read it, I said, you know, I think people would really like to see this. Uh, so I went back and copied the rest. And, and that, so that's how that came about. You know, that I, I noticed um, it, it is available on Amazon still. Is that, is that your listing? That is my listing, yes. Um, although you can also, if you just wanted the PDF, it's on my SSRN page. So that's for free. So the, um, you can get the electronic copy for free. Um, but then the, the version that is printed into a book is the Amazon listing. Jack, if we're interested in, in either one of those style guides, then we can just uh, pick them up on Amazon? Yes, that's correct. You can get them on Amazon. Although there's, um, on the Solicitor General style guide, there is a Kindle version, um, which is not mine. I think what somebody did was they took the SSRN version, the electronic version, and uh, and then just uploaded that. So they are selling that, which you can get for free from my SSRN page for $5. So I wouldn't recommend you get that. Um, I also don't really recommend it for Kindle because... Um, the, uh, there are a bunch of tables. I mean, it's, there's a very um, large part of the book is devoted to how different things are cited in a lot of sort of very complex tables. And they don't show up very well on a Kindle, which is why I never did an electronic version. So I wouldn't recommend people getting that. But if they want the nice book um, then um, that they can flip through and keep on their bookshelf, then, then yes, you can get that on Amazon. Yeah, I find Kindle books. I, I love Kindle books for um, you know recreational reading and that sort of thing. But they are notoriously poor when it comes to any sort of formatting or, like you say, charts, tables, that sort of thing. Uh, better off with a with an ebook or a PDF version for sure. Exactly. For the first version of the Solicitor General style guide, I did a Kindle version, and and it, I just was not pleased with it at all. And so I, I took it down and. Um, uh, so there you have it. 